Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. We've been on this series, Meet the Family. Uh, I've been really loving it. And uh, we had a, an interview with Stanley the first week. And then um, <clears throat> we had Ruth last week, Ruth Preston. And we have somebody else this week we, you'll get to know. So what, what, who we're going to talk about this week, we're going to talk... Oh, sorry, what did, I, did I do something wrong there? Um, oh, okay, we'll get her fixed. Um, we're going to talk about Peter, all right? We're going to talk about Peter this morning. And um, I'm excited about that because Peter's probably one of the <clears throat> most endearing characters in all of Scripture, maybe because um, we, um, we all probably side a little bit with his presumptuousness at times. Um, Peter had a little bit of a habit of... Um, stuff coming out of his mouth before he actually thought about it. And the Bible actually tells us that a little bit. We see him um, in this. I, I love this little passage on, on the transfiguration. This is one of my favorite ones about Peter. It says that, uh, he says, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then the Bible tells us in Mark 9, he said this because he didn't know what to say. <laughs> I love that because <laughs> he was frightened. Um, anybody else talk when they're nervous? And um, that's what Peter did. And I think, um, I think why Peter is so endearing to us all is that he is every one of us really, isn't he? Um, he is us all. We all probably identify with him. But despite um, his overzealous and sometimes maybe presumptuous ways at times or a little bit impulsiveness, Peter had a huge heart. And I think that's what made Jesus pull him into his inner circle of three. Like Peter, James, and John experienced something of Jesus that nobody else experienced. Um, he was quite a character. And um, I think, you know, um, history and the, the Marvel movies um, talk to us about heroes and legends, and usually they're men or women in capes, and um, they save the world. And we all love a hero, don't we? Um, and I, I actually quite enjoy the Marvel movies. Lorraine hates them. Daniel and I like them, which is good. Um, and, uh, uh, but I think in the scripture, there's no legend or hero quite like Peter. I think there's nobody actually quite like him. And I think that because when I started to study him some time ago, doing character studies, because I've always loved to do character studies I began to realize that nobody in the New Testament saw the amount of people saved that Peter did. He was an absolute firebrand when it comes to kingdom building and when it comes to um, salvation. But of course, because of his um, sort of presumptuousness, we love to pick on his failings and his faults, don't we? We love to pick on them. We all do that a little bit. And we know that um, history tells us, actually, the Bible doesn't tell us, but if you've got Josephus or some of the great history books, they actually tell us that Peter was crucified upside down. And uh, of course, we know he was going to be martyred because Jesus actually told him that. He said, when you're old, Peter, when you're old, you'll, you'll be led out by people and you'll go a place that you don't want to go. 
And the Bible actually tells us that Jesus was telling Peter the way he was going to die. That was Jesus' sail pitch to one of his disciples. You know, Jesus was a salesman. He wouldn't have done very well when it come to his sales pitches. And he tells Peter how he's going to die for him. And um, as I say, history tells us that Peter um, had, was crucified, asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the way that um, Jesus was. But there's two or three things that I just want to pull out of the story like I did with Priscilla last week and with Ruth. Um, there's two or three things that I want to pull out of the story that I think highlight the life of Peter. And the first one is that Peter teaches us that the best thing to say to Jesus is yes. The best thing to say to Jesus is yes. Now Luke gives us an in-depth glimpse and, and um, into Peter's calling. He he. Initially, when we meet Peter first, Jesus arrives in the shores of Galilee and the crowd is great. And Jesus, obviously, because he's the creator, knows that water is great for natural amplification. So what, what, uh, sound travels best over water. And so he asks um, a fisherman, could he use his boat to actually speak to the crowd? And of course, the boat that he asked just happened to be Peter's and of course obviously then Peter said yes because it was his boat and um, so Jesus asked Peter could he use his boat Peter says yes and after he teaches from the boat for a while he realizes that Peter and his mates have been out fishing all night and um, I sailed a sand barge in Loch Ness for some years and used to leave the shore in around half four, four, half four in the morning. And all the fishermen, there's 200 fishing laces in Loch Ness where the fish for the Loch Ness eels. And um, they all are out at that time of the morning. So you have a bit of an obstacle course to go through at times. Because um, the early mornings and before daylight is a great time to fish. And of course, these guys have been out in the dark. These guys have been out all night. And Jesus realizes They've been out all night, but the Bible actually tells us that they'd caught nothing. And so they have empty boats, they have empty pockets, and they have really tired bodies. And after Jesus preaches for a little while, he says, to, um, he says to Peter, why don't you just push out into the deep and throw the nets out uh, in the deep? And of course, Peter's a fisherman, Jesus is a preacher, carpenter, um, and you can think all that's going on in Peter's head. You know, Peter is a little bit, you know, I'm the fisherman here, been fishing all night, caught nothing, I'm tired. But again, he says, yes. This is what I love about Jesus, or about Peter. Even when he's, he, he's not really jumping up and down at this idea, but again, he says yes to Jesus. He's learned that the best thing already he's learned in these early stages, the best thing to say to this man is yes. And the Bible actually tells us that when they'd done that, they caught a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they came and filled both boats so full, they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Now, we don't know what he was thinking about when he called himself a sinful man. All we know is that this exposure to um, Jesus' power caused Peter to respond with the 
immediate feeling of fear and unworthiness. And of course, Jesus, um, as he does with any of us, when we come to him like that, he says, don't be afraid. I love that little line. Don't be afraid. That's Jesus' line all the time, isn't it? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And um, not bad, though. They go from no fish and um, empty boats, empty pockets, to bursting nets, sinking boats, and full wallets. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's what can happen when you say yes to Jesus. That's what can happen whenever we turn our hearts to Jesus. Now, according to Matthew 14, Matthew talks a little bit about Peter as well. And according to Matthew 14, he's the only person that we know of that actually walked on water beside Jesus. And I love that story as well because what happens in that story is Peter is out in the boat. Jesus comes walking. Peter and the other disciples see him. Peter then says, Jesus, if it's really you, then beckon me out and I'll come and walk with you as well. And of course, like it's, it's like if you ever think about that scene, it's pretty unbelievable, really. Peter walk, steps up, everybody, all the other guys are probably thinking, here goes Peter again. And um, he throws his leg out over the side of the boat, puts his foot down on something that shouldn't hold him. Like this is contrary to nature. And he puts his foot down on something that he should sink in and realizes that it's weight-bearing. And then he takes his other leg and he steps out. And it's interesting that you don't read about Matthew walked in water or James or John, even John, the disciple that Jesus loved. Don't read about him walking in water. Peter walked in water. And of course, we love to go to the little sinking story, don't we? We love to jump to that, that Peter actually got his eyes off Jesus and he sunk, but he walked in water. And he was pretty smart even when he started to sink because he called out to Jesus when he started to sink. And Jesus reaches out his hand and lifts him and they walk back um, and climb into the boat together. I would love to see those disciples' faces when Peter and Jesus got back into the boat. I imagine if there was such a thing as speechless, there was probably um, a little bit of that. And so, again, when he's invited to get out of the boat, he realizes the best thing to say to Jesus is yes. Even when he's calling you to do the impossible, even when he's calling you to do what defies nature, um, the best thing to say to Jesus is yes. The second thing um, that I think you see in the life of Peter is this, that Jesus is always at work redeeming and restoring us. And I think that's one of the things that I love when I look into the life of Peter, how Jesus is always at work in the redeeming and restoring process of all of our lives. And um, so when you roll the camera on to Matthew 26, um, and they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, um, we read there that Peter actually drew a sword and chopped off a guy's ear. Like this guy is passionate. This guy is passionate and fervent about his love for Jesus. Nobody's going to take his Jesus. I sort of wonder when I read the story what a fisherman was doing with a sword. Anyway, I don't know, but there you have it. He had one, and um, maybe that was just the, the, the thing of that day. But we know from that story that he had made a promise to Jesus. He said to Jesus, because Jesus was telling him that all of you are going to 
fail me, all of you are going to run away. Jesus, Peter says, no way, that's going to happen. Though all fail you, he says, I'll not fail you. Though. And he meant it, he really meant it. He said, though all fail you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with you right through. And of course, Jesus said to him, Peter, before the cock crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter, Peter just couldn't think in his logical mind how that would ever happen. And of course, one minute we find that undying devotion to Jesus. And the next minute we find him swearing with oaths and curses that he doesn't know this Jesus at all. And after his failure in denying Jesus, um, the Bible tells us this. I think that in the message version I read, if you read my email this week, you know that I read Eugene Peterson's biography on holiday. It's the most incredible story, Burning in, burning in My Bones, it's called. And if you like biographies, which I do, um, or autobiographies, it's a great read. And Eugene Peterson was the man who translated the Message Bible way in his 80s, actually, he did that. That was almost his final piece of work. And um, he was a pastor for 50 years, so quite a story. But um, in the Message Bible, um, it talks about that, I think the author I says that whenever the cock crowed, it says that, it says this, that Jesus looked at Peter. I always find that actually quite daunting, that he was in hearing and sight. And so he's denying Jesus while Jesus is listening to him. And it says when he did it the third time that Jesus looked at him. Can you imagine what that look must have been? And the author I says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. But Eugene Peterson in the message says that Peter went out and he wept and he wept and he wept and he wept. And um, I think he wept because he did something he never thought he would do. You ever done something you never thought you would do? You know that thing that you have asked God to forgive you for a dozen times, you think you'll never do it again, and then you do it again. And Peter just did something that he never, when he said, God, though you all forsake you, I'll never forsake you, he meant that with all of his heart. And he did something that he never dreamt he would do, and it broke his heart. And the Bible tells us actually then that he just went back to fishing. He went back. He thought, I've blown it. That's it over for me. I'll just go back to doing what I know to do best. I'll go back to fishing. And he should go back to fishing. But the thing about it is, um, Jesus had a few more yeses for Peter. (laughs) He wasn't finished with his work. He had a few more yeses for him. And the resurrected Jesus turns up on a beach. The freshly resurrected Jesus turns up on a beach, starts cooking breakfast wherever he got the fish. I'm not dead sure, but um, there you go. He's Jesus. And he starts cooking fish on a fire. And um, Peter realizes Jesus comes ashore. Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. Jesus asks again. Some people say, it was to rectify his three denials. I'm not dead sure about that, but whatever the reason, they asked him three times. And then after the third time, Peter was a bit grieved. Peter was a bit hurt that Jesus had asked him three times. And he said this, he says this, you know all things, Lord. Yes, <laughs> you know that I love you. Peter said yes again, you know that I love you. And um, over, over my years, if ever I've blown it, if ever I've done something that, like Peter, that I didn't think I would have done. I use that little line a lot. (laughs) God, you know all things, and you know that I love you. Now, 
Um, last week, I wanted to point out the whole thing about the kitchen table and the living room and Rick and Ruth's house is very much like that, the whole emphasis of how you can build community and church in your, in your homes. And this week, what I wanted to do, I wanted to, I wanted to focus on something about Peter's boldness, all right? The boldness of, of um, Peter, all right? Because here, here's what it tells us in Acts 1. Sometimes we miss this verse. Actually, this is in the upper room. And in the upper room, when the 120 were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, because that's what Jesus told them to do, go to Jerusalem, go into this room, don't leave, don't go out of the city until um, the promise of the Father um, comes to you. So the 120, and what we don't actually realize is that Peter actually stood up. It says, I love this. He stood up amongst the believers of the group numbering around 120 and said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David. And so in, in the upper room, Peter is taking the predominant role because here's the thing about, here's the third thing and the last thing I want to say about Peter. Boldness is a sign that you're close to Jesus. There's something about boldness and um, whenever you get close to the fire, there's something that makes that come out of you. And that's what I love about Peter. When you're walking with Jesus, you stand up for him. After, like, like even when we come to Acts 2, when you come to um, when the Holy Spirit uh, gets poured out in Acts 2, um, it says that the, the people started it poured out onto the streets and the people started to make fun of them. People said, these people are drunk. And Peter stood up and addressed the crowd. So this is, this is we, we, over and over again, we see Peter standing up in Acts 3. We see him with a lame man, Peter and John with a lame man, and we see him, you know, silver and gold have I none. If you went to Sunday school like I did, you maybe learned it in Sunday school. Silver and gold have I none. You remember? Not good. And, um, and then, of course, he texts him, and, and he says he went walking and leaping and praising God. That's what happened. And then when you come to Acts chapter 4, when you come to Acts chapter 4, and the first few verses tells us that those who accepted his message were baptized. And about This is still Acts 2, sorry. This is just after the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people get saved and get baptized, all right? So, so in Acts Two, we have 3,000 people getting saved and baptized. Then Acts 3, we have him healing the, the beggar at the, at the gate of the temple. And then when you come to Acts 4, Acts 4, you have this um, John teaching and peop, they're teaching and, and proclaiming Jesus. Over and over again, you read this about Peter, that he's proclaiming Jesus. This is what he was um, and, and, and when you see this verse in, in chapter 4, verse 4, it says, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So 3,000 people got saved and baptized in Acts 2. Now in Acts 4, 4,000 men. Now I take it that that's not counting women and children, so you can do the sums. And um, so the, the, the proclamation, the spirit of proclamation that has come upon this man is pretty incredible. And he's gossiping the gospel, all right? Peter and John are then locked up by the guard for preaching of Jesus. And the next day, they the, the bring out Peter and John to reprimand them. And, and it says this, that um, he stood up amongst them when, they, when, when he brings them out, to, when the elders bring them out to, to 
scold them for proclaiming the gospel. This is what Peter says to them. He says, we can't stop talking about this because salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. This is what Peter said this to the Sanhedrin. He's saying this to the elders and to the people who are scolding them. And uh, Luke tells us this. Luke tells us that when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I love that. There wasn't anything particularly special about Peter and John. They didn't have any fancy religious education. They didn't go to Bible school. Um, they didn't come from well-known families. But, um, but what they did have, they had, they had a proximity to Jesus. They had a proximity to Jesus that was pretty incredible. And that courage opened doors for the gospel that no other attribute would have cracked. And if we're close to Jesus, I think it'll show up. Uh, as boldness. Now I'm going to introduce you to a fellow elder this morning. So Neil's going to come this morning, all right? And um, Neil has been a friend of mine for a long time, a friend and a, and a fellow elder. And um, I chose Neil because... I chose Neil because... Neil tells me stories all the time. I'll not steal his thunder. He can tell you what he does and introduce his family to you. But he tells me stories all the time of talking to people about Jesus. And um, I just think, you know, when it comes to the boldness of being in people's homes and talking to them about Jesus, I love to see Jason here this morning too. And I just, I, there's people that stand out that I just think God has anointed for this day and this time, and Neil, um, as one of my friends, uh, came to Emmanuel the very last night in Union Street, which was 2003, and uh, we, we come in here, I think it was the first Sunday in September 2003, and Neil and Shirley arrived the last Sunday night of our, in the old building, and they got into the car to go home, and something clicked, and as he turned to, saying this morning, he went to turn the ignition on, he said to Shirley, we need to go back in and and talk to, talk to Phil, and then they came, and we've been friends ever since. But Neil, tell us, introduce our, your family to us. Tell us a little bit about what you do and your family. Hey, well, I'll start by saying um, my name is Neil McClellan, for those uh, maybe who, who don't know me. Uh, I'm married to Shirley here for 33 years, and uh, we have three children, uh, Stuart, who lives in Belfast, and... Uh, Peter, who's married to Amy, uh, they live in Cullybacky, and they have our, our first wee grandson, Charlie. Amen. So we're proud grandparents. Uh, there's something special about the first one, isn't there? Brilliant. And uh, Kate, our daughter, uh, Kate, uh, she's married to Richard, and uh, they live in Marilyn. So uh, that's a wee bit about our, our family. And what do you do? Tell us what you do for a living. Well, I'll, I'll maybe go back to the start of how I ended up being uh, okay. in, in sales. I, I was brought up on a farm and I actually went to, to Greenmount Agriculture College. <clears throat> when I came home from Greenmount, I thought that I would farm for the rest of my life. didn't even consider doing anything else. And, uh, but uh, in 1986, uh, my father who obviously worked alongside. Uh, my father died very suddenly. He was only 55, and uh, uh, I was only 21 at the time. Uh, Shirley and I actually were just engaged uh, one week. 
when my father died. And uh, so it changed the whole dynamic. I, I was used working every day with my father. And all of a sudden I was working on my own. And uh, I didn't particularly like that. And uh, so I persevered veered with the farming for a while. And then when I was 25, uh, I made the decision to actually get out of farming. And uh, it was quite unusual how I actually got into sales. God provided uh, an open door uh, to actually get into the sales world. And I ended up selling to farmers, mm. uh, selling spare parts. And uh, I did that for quite a few years. And then uh, in 1995, I got involved in the uh, distribution of the rainbow cleaning system in Ireland. And uh, that has taken me all over Ireland. Uh, there's probably hardly a town or a village at some point that I haven't passed through. <laughs> and we have sold with customers in every, every county in Ireland. And, and then, uh, how many miles do you do a year? Many miles? Oh, maybe about 30,000. Maybe not just as much now, but at a time I did mm. that. <laughs> mm. so, uh, uh, so that's I'm still doing that today. So mm. maybe not to the same degree, not covering the same miles as I used to. Mm. And you're 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 in people's homes all all the time, which this, you know, your sales um, has taken you in, into people's homes all the time. And I've I've loved your stories. You tell me stories all the time. Usually when we meet as elders, and Neil Neil's as I said, Neil's one of our elders. He's not one that you usually see at the front. He's a quiet man, but he's well, he's quiet. There's a strength in him, and there's a boldness in him. And I've loved his stories. Usually. Um, Neil's always writing early. I come down early to our elders' meetings to make the coffee. Neil's always usually the first one here. And he nearly every week has a story. You know, I was in somebody's house yesterday, and this is what happened. And I love those stories. Is there a couple of stories that stick out to you that... Well, you're right in what, was, what you said there. I've been probably in, in thousands of people's homes all over Ireland. And I've, I've met young people, old people... Uh, all sorts of people from all walks of life and, and people who believe in all sorts of things mm. and uh, uh, all different religions and cults and, and uh, you know I, I always say it to people when, when opportunity arises and, and conversations open up you know I always say that Jesus never came to introduce uh, a religion he, he came to restore a relationship that's good and that's good. Uh, uh, you know, God created us in his image and, and he created us, you know, to be in relationship with him. And, you know, obviously sin separated that relationship in, in uh, Isaiah 59, God tells us that. And we don't do well separated from God. Yeah. And, uh, uh, over, over the years that, you know, I've had conversations with uh, customers, the one thing that, that stands out uh, with many of the conversations is that, that people are aware that there's something missing in their lives. Uh, they're aware there's a, an emptiness and a void in their lives. Mm. And they just, they just don't know what that is. And uh, you know, we know that it's a relationship with Jesus that's, that's missing in their lives. And uh, you know, while, while sin separates us from God, and, and uh, you know, God's love never changes. And God's agape love, it never changes. And it's, it's the one thing that, that uh, you know, that 
people need to hear is that God actually loves them. And, uh, you know, I always think of that verse, you know, in, in 1 John, you know, in 4 10, you know, it says, Here in his love. Here is love, God says. You know, uh, not that we love God, but that he loved us yeah, and, that. and that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And, you know, I think, think of Zacchaeus, you know, Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus. Uh, in, Luke, in Luke 19, and, and he said to Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house. Love it. And uh, Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save, you know, that which was lost. Mm. And uh, so in, in conversations with people, you know, you have uh, people of all different types of responses. You know, some people say very little. Mm. And uh, some people have questions that they, that they want to ask. And uh, was there one story, there was a story you told me about Patrick? Yeah, pa- Patrick was a, an unusual uh, situation. I had a, an unusual I had, name in Ireland, isn't it? <laughs> I had quite a few conversations <laughs> with Patrick. <laughs> uh, and uh, Patrick's actually from Galway. Uh, lives in, in Galway and Moor. And uh, uh, over, over, over a period of time, Patrick... I, 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 I had conversations with him, and, and then I got Patrick a Bible, and Patrick started to read the Bible, and every now and then he'd rang me up and asked me a question, and some, sometimes I wasn't able to answer the questions, but he <laughs> asked me the questions, and I, and, uh, but I knew the Holy Spirit was working with Patrick, and, and, and God was working in his life, and uh, he, one morning, the phone went really, really early, and uh, uh, it was Patrick, and I looked at the phone. And I thought to myself, "Why is Patrick ringing me at this time of the morning?" And uh, uh, I answered the phone. He says, "Neil, I'm very sorry for ringing you at this time of the morning, but he says I couldn't wait any longer." He says, "He says I want to tell you. He says I got saved last night in the middle of the night." Come on, so, so uh, good, isn't it? <laughs> you know, and you know, I, th- I can think of uh, of a lady called Eileen. She lives in County Louth, and I was in her house one day. And I was servicing the machine, and the conversation opened again, and I shared the gospel with her. And uh, you know, she says, "Neil, I, I've never heard, I've never heard this before." Well, but she says everything that you have said, she says, just makes so much sense. Well, and uh, she says, she says, "How do I get saved? How do I do that?" She says, "What do I do?" That's amazing. And so it just led Eileen to the Lord at her. At her Kitchen table. Beautiful. And I think of another customer, Joan. It was quite an amazing story, Joan's story. <laughs> I love these stories. <laughs> Joan, I was in her house. Uh, actually, her machine had a, a fault on it. We're praying for more faults in these machines, <laughs> by the way. I'm not. <laughs> uh, went anyhow, and uh, <laughs> I couldn't find the fault in the machine. And all the time I was working away on the floor, but I, the conversation opened again. The Holy Spirit just opens up these conversations. It's kind of amazing how he does it sometimes. And it just the conversation opened up, and I was sharing the whole gospel message with her. And I had got to the point, and I, I had said to, to Joan, you know, I says, Joan, you know, the best time for you to get saved is right now. I says, there's no time better for you to get saved than right this minute. And just as I said that, a car drove in to the backyard, I got her son with all her grandchildren, the whole lot piled into the house, and that was just the end of the conversation. Mm-hmm. 
And I still could not find the fault in this machine. And uh, so they had tea and biscuits and chilling and juice and all that there. And I still couldn't find the fault in this machine. And it, it, it turned out that it, it was a fault that I have only saw in a machine maybe three times in 26 years. And that, by the time I sorted all that out, they actually had all left again. <laughs> and uh, so I was still working away. And at this point, we weren't saying anything. And Joan was at the sink. I can picture her doing it. She was at the sink and just peeling carrots for the dinner. And you know the peeler thing? She just set the peeler thing down. And she says, Neil, she says, you said that the best time for me to get saved is right now. And she says, I want to do it right now. Wow. She says, what do I do? And she could see it. Send her to the Lord. Incredible. So, uh, and I think of Margaret, another lady down in Ken Mayer. I mean, she, Margaret had a miraculous uh, healing, is the only way you could describe it. And, and through that miraculous healing, Margaret, she was a really devout religious person, very devout person. And uh, she, she came to faith in Christ. Uh, her husband, Eugene, got saved. Her sisters got saved. Uh, a lot of her family got saved. And they all, they all go to a fellowship church now down in uh, Killarney called New Beginnings. Beautiful. So it's, it's wonderful how God... Tell, tell us, just uh, our time's near enough gone and we need to do communion, but, uh, which we're going to do together. Um, but tell us... You know, as I said last week, the whole emphasis was around with Stanley the first week. It was, you know, following Jesus as as you get older, um, you know, maintaining the faith. And last week, the whole idea was around kitchen tables and living rooms, how you can build community and build church from home. This week, the whole emphasis was how can we actually, how how can we encourage people to do that, that, that because that's what happened with, with, with um, the disciples, you know, the, the gossip that they each other in a good way on the boats, and then one led another, and Andrew brings Philip, and blah, blah, and on, on and on it goes. And that's what you are doing. How, if, if you were saying a word of encouragement to people in their jobs, in their vocations, where they're at, um, how would you encourage them to talk about Jesus? Well, I think the first thing, uh, you know, Sherry and I would, would do this regularly as, as before we leave in the mornings, you know, pray and ask the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's great. To open up that's opportunities. Advice. That's great advice. You know, because salvation is of the Lord. It, it's, it's nothing to do with us. And it's him that opens up the, the conversations and it's it's him that opens up hearts. You know, mm. uh, you know, those people reminded me of Lydia, you know, uh, mm. uh, the wee phrase in Lydia's conversion, whose heart the Lord opened. That's right. And, uh, you know, it's so... Uh, it's, and it's, it's, it's trusting what we carry, mm. you know, and we don't just carry his presence, we carry a message. It's beautiful. That's good, isn't it? We carry yeah. a message, mm. you know, and, uh, you know, that verse that says, how will they, how will they hear without a preacher? You know, how, how are they going to hear unless we, unless we yeah. tell them, yeah. you know? And uh, as I said earlier on, there's a phrase that I hear sometimes, when you share the gospel with people, I've never heard that before. Especially mm. in the south of Ireland, I get that all the time. I never heard that before. Beautiful. Um, so, it's so encouraging, isn't it? It is really encouraging and really challenging for us all. You know, just to take up the mantle in our day-to-day vocations. You know that it's not bringing people to church on Sunday. 
you know, that's a great thing to do, by the way, but it's actually in your vocation, in your environment. I think that's great advice. Speaking to asking the Holy Spirit to, to guide you and salvations of the Lord. I think there's some great nuggets of wisdom in that, that, you know, um, you have to take it before him. But tell us a wee bit. We're going to break bread together just as we finish. Um, and thought being fellow elders, it would be lovely if we would lead you in this together. And we've got a little bit of uh, cracker and juice here. But tell us, um, uh, Neil, tell us why you love Jesus so much. And tell us why communion might be special to you. Well, I think, you know, First John 4.19 says that we love him because he first loved us. Mm. Uh, we love Jesus. I love Jesus because of what he did for me. I, you know... My sins are forgiven. Mm. I am redeemed and set free. And uh, it's amazing what God has done, isn't it? Yeah. Through the cross. I, we were lost and without hope and without God in the world. But now, you know, we, we've been brought near through the blood of Jesus. And I know that, I know that in talking to you that communion is special to yeah, you yeah communion yeah because communion it it refocuses our minds mm. on jesus because it's all about him and uh, you know uh, funny i was just sharing with shirley last night you know uh, in acts in the early church it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and and fellowship and breaking of bread Mm. and in prayers so it it was important for them to do that and it was you know i can't use both hands but you know we're out here doing our our stuff every every week Mm. and it's like communion because that's the main reason why we meet together is to remember the lord that's good that's the main reason why we're here this morning Mm. to focus on jesus and so it's like we're out here and you know it's like jesus said look come together come together mm. to remember me so he brings us from out here brings us together to remember him just to send us back out again brilliant and then to bring us back in again to remember him to send us back out again mm. do you know what i mean and i think that's why you know in hebrews ten twenty five, it says do not forsake the coming together of yourselves as the manner of some is, but all the more as you see the day approaching. But the wee phrase the start, at the start of that verse is, do not, mm-hmm. do not forsake it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's very important to do that. And, and, the, and the other reason is, simple reason, Jesus asked us to do it. Yeah, it's lovely. It's lovely. Do this in remembrance of me. Beautiful. Well, let's do that. Let's do that. Well, let's just take a wee moment or two in the quietness of our own space. And um, let's remember the Lord together. Neil and I are going to do that here. And um, then after we do that in a moment or two, I'll get Neil to pray for us. But uh, it's been lovely this morning, hasn't it? Just to hear the boldness of the proclamation of the gospel. So, Father, thank you for this bread and for this cup. I ask you to bless it to us as we partake now in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.